Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. We like that. All in one place for totally free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your cellular telephone or your computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else, those other places that podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify, and when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&As and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free. Zero catch. We've been using it ever since we started How Long Gone. And ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like having the option of turning off the Q&As and the polls on the user dashboard (laughs) has really helped uh, boost my creativity and take it to another level. I highly recommend giving it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. I just tried one of those uh, Taka, the the coffee they sent us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro, I am lit. This shit is fire. <laughs> I forgot about those. I, I, I ran through all of them quickly. This shit is really good. I'm, like, super impressed. What flavor are you fucking with? I went for that raw. I hit the raw black, but I think that the, the extra shit in it is really making me fly. All of your... Um adaptogens and maca powders and mushroom extract exactly exactly in the lion's mane for clarity lion's i love mane this is shit needed right now and it's like a it's a small can you know what i'm saying so i was a little bit like oh this shit ain't gonna hit that hard but it's in fact hitting very hard and so if there was more it might be too hard you haven't tried any of the other flavors though no I, i'm not really a latte guy but i'll try well i i i say if you think if you think raw dog Black coffee is good. Wait until the macadamia nut latte hits. Okay. All right. All right. All right. It's quite delicious. Yeah. Shout out to those those guys. Thanks for sending us the. It's the really pack. good though. I, I love I love this shit. Can you uh, can you spell the name just to give them a shout out? Yeah. T a i k a. Taika. Taika. I don't know the uh, significance or the meaning of that word. Maybe it doesn't come from anything. No, it could be a classic startup where they made up a word, so they own the 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 territory. <clears throat> um, their Taika Waititi is the name of a filmmaker in New Zealand. Interesting. That is about all I can get. Mm, mm. So Love those Google search results. <laughs> how's uh, how's ATL going? Well, it's a big day, bro. It's fucking risky business here at the Black Household because my parents are out of town. Wow! So this is so you got you you got a feeling you're experiencing a feeling that you may have never felt, you know, for the rest of your life. Thanks to uh, thanks to quote COVID and quarantining. It's it's true. Um, my parents and my my sister and her new and her husband and her new uh, twins left for the beach. They went to South Carolina this morning. Um, so mm-hmm. big CB's holding down the fort. <clears throat> um, and let me tell you, I, <clears throat> I feel free as a bird. <clears throat> I, I also, you know, 
I, I feel for you in this time because now you won't be able to celebrate Father's Day with your family. How are you taking that? Um, well, I never celebrate Father's Day with my family. Mm-hmm. So my dad is not the biggest holiday guy, but I'm going to get him a little gift. So when he comes home, there's something for, for the man. Not a big holiday guy. So you're not, uh, not going to be grilling up some T-bones in his honor. Uh, no, no, that's not really the vibe. Like, I think he would probably just want to like sit in his preferred chair and read a book and be left alone. Um, uh-huh. w- which I, I would prefer to T-Bones as well. So I understand where he's coming from. Yeah. The, um, the, the butcher shop here in LA McCall's in, in Los, Los Feliz, um, line around the corner into the parking lot. Dozens of people trying to buy for some expensive high-end meats. organic meat the meat is hitting it is delicious you know i thought i thought you know that that i guess you know we hear all these rumors that we're moving towards a meat-free or more meat-free society but i'm, ca- I'm calling bullshit on that uh i think we are hopefully or at least i am moving away from a uh, unethically sourced meat society fair where, uh, you know. But what's the, you know, this is actually, as a person who hasn't eaten meat in a very long time, I actually don't know. But, like, the price difference between something at McCall's and something at Albertson's is, like, staggering, right? Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say staggering. I, w- I would say, like, it could, it could be, like, twice as much. But there's also, but that's the difference between low end and high end and you know there there is a definitely a spectrum range of of meat prices and quality that you can you can dip into where you get some some good good stuff that's ethically sourced and sustainable for just a you know a couple two three dollars more per pound than you know hitting the supermarket terrible shit i got duped today by fucking whole foods oh go on well, you know they got rid of the 365 brand, mm-hmm. but they they just took the na- they just took 365 off the sign. So I walk into this bitch and I'm like, "This looks like a 365." <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've said it many times. Amazon acquiring Whole Foods really ruined everything. Everything there. It's it's, it's true, but I mean, unfortunately, here there's not really a, a good local option um, that has the same level of stuff. You mm-hmm. know. You're gonna have to dig deeper into the, the small independent bodegas and markets of your ethnically diverse neighborhood there. Well, there is the, 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 the DeKalb Farmer's Market, which is like a legendary farmer's market, but I don't really know what I would do there, you know? No, I don't either. You would look at some nuts and then keep going. I mean, I would find a way to spend $100 because that's my culture, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if that would be a positive or negative experience for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But otherwise, otherwise, you know, ATL is pretty good. I mean, they arrested the cops. Saw that. Which is like pretty big. Uh, and they did it, you know, not fast enough, but faster than we've seen, except for the, the Breonna Taylor thing, um, which is insane still. Um, yeah. And and they gave him, gave the police charges that were not hitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Felony, felony murder is yeah is some yeah. real shit versus third degree or, or second degree or manslaughter or some bullshit. What's really interesting though is his partner has lawyered up and is going to be testifying against him, which is 
some really, you know, blue line crossing shit that we don't see very often. That is um, some blue line crossing shit. That is, he has now become the 6'9 of 12. Yes, ex- exactly, yeah. <laughs> not to make We're it about sure. numbers, but... <laughs> not to do the math. Yeah. Um, Numerical pun pretty, intended. It's pretty interesting, because, like, I, I think that, I mean, I think, obviously, it has a lot to do with the climate, and he's like, yo, I don't want anything to do with this shit. Like, I didn't pull the trigger, I didn't do shit. But, I mean, I'm hearing... I mean, I think this was reported. It's like I got an mm-hmm. inside source, but the, the cop who shot him, that shot Richard, like kicked him after he'd killed him. Yeah, that's what I read as well, which is which is pretty damning. I, th- I think like it's a combination of of damning evidence and the fact that we are, you know, in a society now where they really don't feel like they are confident in the fact that they will get off. I think I think. Crossing, yeah. you know, not not crossing the blue line and 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 ratting out your your fellow police happened for so long because you really felt that you could say nothing and be able to go on without punishment, and people don't feel like they're able to do that anymore. Oh, it's true. It's it's pretty. It's. I mean, to me, that's that. I mean, obviously, it's a very small thing, but it's pretty positive. I mean, I think that, like, um, you know, right and wrong uh, being chosen over like brotherhood is um, yeah. a a good sign in general, and and you know, it only takes a couple to start a trend. Hopefully, um, yeah. I mean, it's much a, like it's a, much like mm-hmm. bad streetwear, you know. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it back to streetwear. But yeah, I mean. <laughs> Those those the, these little things need to happen, and other people need to see that, you know, being a police officer does not make you invincible or above the law anymore. And real consequences can happen, and hopefully that will kind of slowly and eventually make police behave like actual human beings again, or maybe not one, again, but you know, one can hope, TJ. One can hope. I mean, you know. Hopefully, look. As long as we stop giving them money for tanks and three hundred thousand dollars worth of machine guns, then I'm I'm going to be happier. So mm-hmm. we got, but we got to start. We got to start somewhere. Um, yeah, man. In positive news, um, uh, the queen of How Long Gone podcast, Phoebe Bridgers, released her album early uh, as to not compete with the Juneteenth holiday. And you you pointed out something earlier to me that I thought was like pretty incredible, and I don't know if people realize. So if, I would love for you to explain that. Yes, yeah, she um, she created like when when an artist will release a record, they'll have a little link, kind of like a a little link tree type of scenario where it'll show the album and the artwork, and then all the different places that you can purchase or stream the record. You know, like. Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube, all that stuff. You know, I'm sure everyone has seen that. But then she has replaced all of that with all different types of charitable organizations, Black Lives Matter, Youth Justice Coalition, women's shelters, you know, anti-LAPD coalitions. And you're able to then, you know, you're, 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 I don't know if you're forced to, but you are heavily encouraged to where the, all the listen buttons have been replaced with donate buttons, and then once you've donated, then you know you can listen listen to the record. It's which just is, so which is a really smart. yeah, just a super simple thing. 
and a smart way to you know signal boost and and use your audience the right way it's also nice in some ways thinking about it further is that like a young female artist having enough power to to you know get everybody on the team on board to make a decision like that mm-hmm. um is probably not something that would have been been the case a couple of years ago either. Mm-hmm. And and as you were saying to me as well, like you know, the the power has really been taken out of not all the power, but a lot of power has been taken out of these major corporations and monopolies that run run everything. Um, you know, record companies and movie studios and everything. A lot of their power is being taken away to where somebody could do something like this and. The record company has no choice but to oblige in fear of yeah, know, negative yeah. press or PR, which like, is what are you gonna, a great what are you gonna do? Yeah, like what are you gonna do? Be like, nah, nah, we we nah, we don't care. We need to put this record out. It yeah. doesn't like also that twenty four hours doesn't really make a difference um in the scheme of things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um in a sales or, or stream like world. Yeah. Um, and the the technology is here and people you know, in these high places who run these record companies or, you know, concert promotion companies or whatever it is, they, you know, they know every day that their power is being taken away more as social media and technology grows that Phoebe Bridgers, you know, if she's intelligent and insightful and forward thinking enough to do something like this, she also does not need the help from these companies to release her album. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, She doesn't, you know, she can, you know, print all of her merchandise from her friend who, who doesn't have full control. She can sell tickets to all of her shows by herself. No shots at our friends at, at, at dead ocean, secretly Canadian, just to be clear. Uh, that's, that's family. Well, to, to that (laughs) point, the record labels who have, you know, set a good example for positive practices will then be, you know, celebrated even more and a light will be shined on them even more as maybe the only last true beacons of, of good in, in, in an industry that's been sucked dry of any soul. I've just had a great couple days musically um, for me because there, there's a new killer song um, <laughs> that sounds like the fucking like war on drugs if they like really were in a stadium um which is kind of kind of right that's good my, i mean yeah it's fire the, it's got a, a heavy lead keyboard part you know i have not i have not listened to it yet i have not i mean i've been listening to music but i have not been able to listen to music that i have chosen i i can only listen to music that is just like a, a playlist or an NTS stream or something to where I don't have to think about the curation of it. I just have to hope. Jam. I just have to turn it on and, and go for it. I, I can't think about deciding what to listen to right now. Huh. I mean, I guess I, I get that except when it's, I mean, I think because something's new, I'm obviously excited to listen to it, but otherwise, yeah. I think I mean, a lot of it I, has to do with with DJ's fatigue of having to well, select that, music my whole life. It's just like, yeah, I really I'm, feel. I'm ready to bro. hang the hang the boots up. DJ's lives matter. I agree. Um, I I think that that, that uh, thank you for that. Well, it's probably because you've been bumping that J Cole song, you know, 24 <laughs> hours straight. So you just you, you that's the fatigue is the J Cole. See, that's, that, the that's another. Your Majesty Cole. 
Well, that's another, you know, form of validation that I've, re- I guess both of us have received of like, you know, where, where has the anti J. Cole movement been this whole time? We've been. Well, well I mean, I, we're anti J. Cole because he's corny and his music sucks. Mm-hmm. Now you have an actual reason to dislike him because he is talking poorly about a a woman who is kind of beloved and doing it in like an aggressive way and also like fully owning it being like i stand by this shit mm-hmm. hey man, um, the, which, the, the cream is rising to the top as they say and the uh the grounds that are that need to be discarded at the bottom of the mug are are being discarded Thank you for bringing it back down to earth so our, our um, white fourth wave listeners can I'm understand. Sorry, I'm sorry for using a analogy <laughs> that is so uh, entrenched in color. The, uh, the cream is a rich mahogany hazelnut cream, not a, <laughs> not a stark white caucasity cream. Okay, on that note, wow. Um, let's bring on our white guest. Uh, yeah, let's. Uh, Jason works at Starbucks now. Um, so our, our guest today is uh, Gideon Yego, who if you're, uh, you know, in your our age or even maybe early 30s, you probably remember him as the face of MTV News um, during the Iraq War and, and other massive events. He's interviewed, you know, presidents, political leaders, musicians, actors, obviously. Um, he lives in L.A. now. He's a writer. Um, I believe he's working on film and TV projects. Um, but we're going to give him a buzz in Griffith Park and kind of get a, a former news professional's take on the world right now. I think it's an interesting perspective to have and kind of a rare one. How Long Gone is brought to you by our dear friends at BetterHelp, Jason. BetterHelp. You know, the summer travel season is coming up. Luckily, my BetterHelp therapist also fancies themselves a bit of a travel agent. So... For maybe the first half of our sweet sessions, we were spent off, obviously off clock going through, you know, hotels, ferries, car rentals, restaurant recommendations. It's as if I have two wives. I have two wives inside of me. And, uh, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. So, uh, it, it is a fun way to find and connect different therapists. You get one that you really like. You guys are gossiping. You guys are chit-chatting. You guys are talking about your personal interests. Next thing you know, it's time to actually do the work. So it feels good building those uh, mental health relationships with people you actually like. And on BetterHelp, there are so many different therapists to choose from. I don't like anyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash how long today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash how long. Nice. How Long Gone is brought to you by Nutrafol. As you know, you know, hair thinning is quite complicated. Like your skin, hair is a reflection of your health. Uh-oh. And internal factors can impact the way your hair looks, feels, and most importantly, grows. Nutrafol's whole body approach multi-targets underlying root causes like stress, hormone fluctuations, and nutrient gaps for visibly thicker, stronger hair. Go ahead. Give it a tug. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth suppy with over 1 million people seeking thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with considerably less shedding. Thank God. Take the first step. 
to visibly thicker, healthier hair for a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code HOWLONG, all one word. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists and professional stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L. I got Raf on the nut. <laughs> dot com promo code how long? That's Nutrafol.com promo code how long? Hey there, overwhelmed foodies. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same? Fear not, because amidst the chaos, there's one shining star worth your culinary affection. Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Say goodbye to swiping left on lackluster meals and swipe right for the one brand that will make your taste buds swoon. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef design recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions... Speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, I like to chop myself, or quick microwave meals that are assembled in minutes, Home Chef has you and your entire family covered for delicious meals, witty options per week, and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. I'm keto now. Not only is it convenient, but it is also economical. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 Per month on groceries. Mamma mia. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering my listeners, our listeners, 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert faux life at homechef.com slash how long. That's homechef.com slash how long for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash how long must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Yo, what up? up? How are you, man? I'm good. How are you, Jason? You there? I'm here. Can you hear me? We're all here. Right on. How's Atlanta? Uh, Atlanta is really something. I mean, we were just talking before they you know, they charged that cop for real, and his partner's testifying against him, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that calmed things down a little bit, but overall, it's actually been super nice. Weather's good. You know, can't complain. How was the trip down? trip down was interesting uh there were um you know some places are are just more concerned with the world than others <laughs> in many ways sure. um but it was good to see it i think i'd been in canada for too long i i'd gotten lost in the sauce i needed to see i needed to see the motherland in all of its glory you know fair enough fair enough what uh what have you been doing like are you have you been in la the whole time yeah yeah my wife and i had a baby boy Christmas day. Um, so it has been, it was like, we were just getting our feet underneath us about how to not kill him. And then the pandemic hit. And, uh, so then we were like parenting in quarantine and it's, you know, they're, they're a little tricky to move around. Um, so I, uh, we've had, a, we've had a handful of parents on the show, but I think most of them have had, had children that are a little older where like schooling was the issue. Right. Um, I, I think that that sounds, uh, incredibly challenging to both Jason and I, as we cannot, <laughs> we cannot wrap our head around that, but I think any sort of child rearing sounds difficult right now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, 
definitely like, um, like the analogy I kept making to people was, you know, uh, I went through like 40 years of life, like playing a video game on easy mode and being like, yeah, I, mm. I kind of got this. Let me see what it's like on like brutal murder, slaughter, suicide mode. And that was having this kid in this, like just everything was just impossibly hard. Um, but you know, then they like wake up and they start smiling at you and you start to have this interaction with this person. And it's, it's all the, you know, all those cliches made real, right? It's like the greatest thing in the world. And, um, you so you, so you're going to keep the thing. Yeah, we're keeping him. We're keeping him. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. For, for a while, we were like, yeah, yeah, we, we've decided. After six months, he's earned his place in our household. <laughs> it was touch and go for a while, but we, we we made a decision. Um, yeah, a couple Craigslist you know, posts trying to get him off our hands. but then, you know, <laughs> Nobody, you didn't get any good offers, so you just didn't get any good offers. People were real sketchy about like quarantine breaks with the, you know, taking in the baby. So we're keeping him. Uh, you know, so you you and I have been friends for a long time. We met in New York uh, through like Sarah LeWitton and, and and Gurge and like a, a kind of a nightmare of you 2006 era, <laughs> 2007 era. That's um, correct. But I think a lot of people that listen to the show um, would either recognize you from MTV News or the idea of that because they might be a little too young. Um, sure. But I I, I – um, I wanted to get into that, obviously, and just kind of what it's like to cover something so big, because I think you've been a part of that. But I also wanted to understand, like, what you've been up to, because just personally, I don't I don't really know. So I would love to catch up and just kind of hear what you've been doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. About 10 years ago, I, like, kind of decided I was going to um, just totally fucking take a left turn in terms of everything I was fucking doing. And... Um, I kind of burned my ships behind me and headed out to the West Coast and decided, you know, I want to seriously try to, you know, make film and make television. And um, I sold a movie and I thought, okay, well, this means obviously like within six months, I'm going to be like on a white horse and like welcome to hollywood baby yeah you know uh all the fucking dumb idiot cliches about you're like oh of course like just because one good thing happened this obviously means i'm on a trajectory and um what it ended up being was kind of 10 years of like an apprenticeship from the ground floor on the way up of how to make film and television not all of it the most glamorous in the world but just working consistently and like you know hoping that if somebody gives you the keys to uh, to a television show, you don't drive it off the fucking cliff um, because you know what you're doing. And yeah. you have, you know, a couple hundreds of hours of TV episodes behind you. And that's just kind of it. You know, I, I you know, I'm, I'm like one of, you know, several thousand working people in entertainment in Hollywood. And, um, you know, my nights and my weekends sitting around still trying to make the stuff that is I would like to watch. Uh, and I would like to see, but then the rest of it's just kind of um, getting good, you know, trying to get good. Trying to and get is that you do? Is that writing, producing, directing? What does that What does that mean for you? It's writing, although like at a certain level, you end up producing the episodes that you write, um, because with like TV, uh, a lot of the times, you know, these directors will come and go on individual episodes. So you as a writer will be there as, you know, kind of um, continuity for the cast, continuity for the crew, making sure, you know, 
whatever the one little hour is in 10 hours or 22 hours uh, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Are we talking about are we talking about comedy, like sitcom, drama? Like what are you drawn to? It's all drama. I mean, everything that I do is drama. I'm I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just not. You know, the co- the comedians out here are so funny. I also like, live for <laughs> drama. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I mean it is two different things, I guess. But I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't. Comedians are funny, but I feel like writing TV comedy versus being funny is kind of two different things. Yeah. Well, they kind of ate our lunch, right? Like it's like suddenly like the most deep, real character studies committed to screen are like Bojack Horseman and like Master of None and Insecure. And, you know, they're doing all the heavy work that, you know, Matt Weiner and David Chase and, you know, guys a generation ago were doing on like HBO and AMC and all these other stuff. It's, it's all the comedians that are cracking that ground. Well, I guess they do make it a little more palatable for like a wider audience maybe. And that's part of the reason it, it works so well now. Yeah. I also think it's like, it's hard to, di- I think it's, it's hard to digest. I mean, look, look at the times that we're living in right now, right? Like, do you want some ponderously, bummer fucking hour of television like can you deal with that like you you have to kind of give it a comic voice um if you want to get people just because there's so much stuff out there and also the world is on fire yeah i mean i think we've we've even i mean we struggle with that here on this podcast because it's like you know our our approach to life is pretty fucking light in general um (laughs) was i would say i would say for better or worse um and, and, you know, in the last couple of weeks, we, we tried to, to get serious and talk about some more serious topics because it's obviously top of mind. It's important. And we've, you know, also had people on and kind of tried to give them a platform to educate us and our like white bro listeners. Um, right. But it is I think that that is is what really is um, a fine line that some people are just very good at is like and a couple of our guests have been that where they're able to give you this really dense information. And, and, and in a very full and like enriching way, but they're able to like keep it light enough where you don't feel like you're reading a white paper or getting, right. pre- or getting preached to. And I think that is something that's going to become really valuable as we move forward in this kind of moment in time. I think, I think that's already here. I think comedians are the only people who are able to successfully do that right now with, you know, Chappelle and, and you've been watching a lot of Patriot act wait what is it um yeah i i i just got turned on to that i i always just all those shows just always seemed a little bit corny to me and then i saw yeah. a couple of clips and i was like this guy's fucking incredible he's killing mm-hmm. yeah yeah and you're just you're able to reach a, a much larger audience when you also make it entertaining and it never had to be entertaining before but it kind of does now because we're all dumb yes are you guys are. uh are you guys Charlie Brooker fans? Did you guys like get into Charlie Booker? No. no tell me more. So he, um, he, for a long time, he was like, uh, he was, um, like Britain's John Stewart. He like oh, okay. ran a TV show called, uh, like Newswipe. And, um, Wait, he, he didn't, he create Black Mirror as well. And then he created Black Mirror. Okay. Which to me is like one of the coolest pivots. I think he got to the point where he was like, I got like John Stewart, I think was just sort of like, I got burned out on this and I had to pass the torch. 
I think what Charlie was doing was he was like, I got burned out on trying to like laugh about it because I was crying every day while I'm like writing this stuff, trying mm. to find the joke that I just like kind of had to go really deep to the other side, yeah, yeah, you know, and tell it in a completely different way, which I think is, you know, that's the other flip side to, um, to comedy is that I think if you, if you've got something smart and it's in a genre medium or you can kind of just take people out of the reality of what they're in right now. Um, you can have those conversations through a lie about something that's a little bit truer. Mm-hmm. No, no, I would agree. Um, I, I was not familiar though. I think that the, the Brits always do it pretty well though. So I'm sure I, I will like it. Yeah. They're fucking good at shit. Aren't they? <laughs> I mean, they've truly given it's me not everything. everything Don't give uh, them too true. much credit. They've Fair given enough. me most of the music I love, so I give them a pass for a lot of shit. You know what I mean? Right, um, right. I, I might be too generous, but um, well, I, I think that you know. Again, I, I think it's really interesting to be in the position you're in as someone who's like covered. I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were there for Iraq, correct? Yeah. Yeah, what what years were you? I mean, I don't know if you want to answer that, but what years no, were you sure. um, were you corresponding no. on MTV? Because I, I mean, I grew up watching you, and we we're also, you know, a very similar age. So that's also tough for me to swallow as well. No, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, believe me, becoming a dad has certainly like made me accept that I am like a middle aged white dude, and. <sighs> You know, the next phase after this is just looking like Mandy Patinkin for the rest of my life. <laughs> like, G- Gideon, to be fair, this this podcast is literally about us realizing we're middle aged white dudes. So uh, welcome, welcome to the welcome to the Thunderdome, club. baby. Well, I think it's it's less of us <laughs> realizing and joints? more more <laughs> of us fighting against it every day. Yeah, yeah, doing whatever true. it no. takes to make ourselves look younger. I kind of embraced it. Like, I, I think I've come to, like, realize that I this I sort of was this all along, you know what I mean? Like, where it's like, you know, when you get your driver's license and your first thing is, like, picking up all your friends because they're tripping on acid and, like, stuck in the other wrong side of the Lincoln Tunnel. And you're like, oh, fuck, man, I should be the one on acid. And you're like, oh, fuck, I've been a dad the entire time. Uh, yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so basically, if you guys need a ride, I'm, I'm just telling you, I can come pick you up. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Jason probably lives down the street, so I, it's it's possible, you know. If you get stuck in Arrowhead, Jay, just, you know. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll talk so, after the show. Yeah, we will. Um, so I started working when I was very, very young. I started working when I was 21 years old. I got hired at MTV um, in 1999, in the, in the fall of 1999, to cover the 2000 presidential campaign. And... Damn. Yeah, it was sort of a novel concept. Like I knew how to like the big thing when I was um, in college was Dogma 95 and this notion that, you know, you had this kind of breakthrough of uh, shooting what's now an archaic format, which is mini DV. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Spike Jones had shot like a fat lip video and like that short about bull riding on like the PC 100 (laughs) and then Lars von Trier. Um, had and had shot um, most of his stuff. And I'm trying to think like who else. There was like a couple of people who basically were like, use cheap cameras, use only natural lighting. Um, and, you know, this is going to be the new box that you can kind of try to deconstruct content inside in cinema. And I was really into that because it was like cheap and it reminded me a lot of the, like the skateboarding videos I had all 
watch while I was growing up in New York City. The 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 Yashica T4 of video, perhaps. The Yashica yes, T4 yes. of video, hot, fucking great. Shout out to the Yashica T4. Uh, uh, those those people don't need any more more acclaim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't. They don't they're, need. They're going, they don't need the resale value to increase on eBay it's, anymore. It's already, yeah, those those things are already have doubled in price since I started buying them 15 years ago. So yeah, I remember when there was just like a crazy run on them, right? Like people were like found out Terry Richardson. And it like, was Terry. It was, yeah, Chris has Chris has Ryan, been following Terry and his and his <laughs> private practices for years now kind of shadowing his actions i should hope not (laughs) no i i do think though that they when when terry and ryan were really popping and people found out that's what it was and that's the same thing that's happened with the contacts is like you know it's like jürgen teller uses it and then fucking kylie then then kendall jenner and and frank ocean use it so now it's a thousand dollars instead of four hundred and yeah, that's insane. That's insane, right? Because the, the whole thing was they were like plastic lenses, right? Like it was just like yeah. I mean, well, it's a pla- the thing with the Yashica is it's a plastic camera, but it has the Carl Zeiss lens, lens. so that's yeah. why it's so good. And the the contacts is a better, more substantial camera, so it should cost more, but it should not cost a thousand dollars. But you know, it's like anything else. If they stop making it and people fetishize it, the price is going up. Yeah. So I don't know if there's ever going to be the equivalent thing. I should like hop on eBay and see what like a PC 100 goes for now. I mean, I just like, we used to joke where one of my buddies had a, had a baby. Um, he's not that, he was not that much older than him. That kid's in college now. And, um, we used to joke, you know, uh, his son would never know. I mean, it was a joke. We would be like, you're never going to know tape. You're never going to know film. It's all <laughs> just going to be flying around in the air. And Sure, shit. Like, yeah, hundred percent. Like, Tyler, the creator, disagrees with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that there will always be a generation. You know, we'll always fetishize what came for us, like certain people. But I mean, I do the mini DV thing is something I don't have any experience with, but I do. I know the term from like cool friends talking about it. You know what yeah. I mean? So they, so they gave they basically you were using that because of such a small budget that mtv gave you or was this no i'd like initially i was it was crazy i was um there was oh my god what is their fucking name i don't even remember the name anymore it was um this like it wasn't den what the fuck was it called holy shit this is now this is me getting old right it's like forgetting it um (laughs) come on pops you can do it there was a dot com (laughs) startup that was trying to do tv on the internet which was something you they it was a great concept but it was like 10 15 years ahead of its time um and i got a job learning how to do nonlinear editing and learning how to shoot on a mini dv and so mtv was like looking for essentially um people who were going to shoot themselves like be a one man band, you could shoot yourself and you could tell a story mm-hmm. and then you would just send your tapes back to MTV and MTV would cut it up. And they thought, you know, now everyone with a camera or everyone on TikTok, this is just like a mass cultural thing. But we really were, it was myself and six other people. We were like that first generation of like what you would call user generated content. Mm-hmm. And they thought, well, this is going to be such a novel thing. It's kind of like the real world, right? Like we just take six real people and we say go tell a story about what politics in america is or just go have a road trip across america and we'll give you a um very small amount of money for that yeah i didn't i didn't think it was gonna be my life i mean it wasn't was like what i was trying to do wasn't who i wanted to be 
Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I kind of just got, I I was, I was put on the road with John McCain when I was 21 years old in, in Manchester, New Hampshire. And he was like, you know, suddenly my college bullshit sessions where I would stay up all night was staying up all night talking with him and his family. And, um, you know, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I I think the difference in access to is that is really telling. Like, I feel like there's no way that that kind of access would happen with a candidate now. I think that's right. I think that's absolutely right. I don't, I think, I mean, everything is so, I remember with Obama, my friend Amy Rice made this documentary, um, about Barack Obama, um, where she kind of got on really early on. And the only reason I think she got the access that she did was he was considered such a long shot in the mm. fall of 2007 that he was like, yeah, sure. Follow me around, you know, yeah, fuck it. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go. Like, you know, this is, is going to be John Edwards versus Hillary Clinton. There's no way that this can happen. And then, you know, she said it really decisively somewhere around May of the subsequent year, she was on the apps and, um, you know, I, I think that that is what is the most interesting about that job and that, I mean, cause you did this for a while. Um, yeah. and it, it, uh, I think that to me, the most interesting part is access. And then also, um, like, I think the difficulty for anyone in your position, especially at that age is keeping their personal politics out of it. Um, and was that really, ch- I feel like for a 25, 26 year old, that's much harder than for a 50 year old. Um, yeah, 25 year olds yeah. are trash. Well, it's also like, I mean, I really felt it on a corporate level, right? Which was like, I would say these things and I would come back to MTV and I would be like, you have to, you know, call George W. Bush out on his bullshit, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just, I remember, and you know, you get a lot, I got a lot of, and you know, how do you deal with it, right? Like it's your first job. It's super, you're super tenuous and you're standing in a room, you're 22 years old, 21 years old. You're standing in a room with a bunch of people in their forties and they're saying, no, we got to like both sides of this shit, you know? And what you're not hearing is the reason that we've got to both sides of this has nothing to do with how we're serving the audience. It has everything to do with like a broader corporate strategy about not pissing off affiliates in yeah. small markets in central, you know, in, in different States. Um, at the end of the day, you know, we're only doing this because it's a loss leader for us. Um, and that if we get our ass hauled in front of Congress for perpetuating stereotypes about black people for putting out demigrating images about women, we can point to you who's doing your like pro voter rally and say, we're not all bad. And, um, that was like a real awakening for me where I was like, Oh shit. Like I'm your, I'm your bandaid, right? Like I'm your excuse. Um, and the whole thing went fucking ass over tit when nine 11 happened because suddenly you were, you were there for that. Right. Yeah. And like, suddenly there was a situation where, um, none of those mid-level executives, none of that, that like, um, bureaucratic pyramid of cowardice was anything I had to deal with anymore because no one was putting anything on air. It was just me and my little dipshit camera for two weeks. For two weeks, I did 50% of the programming on MTV. I did not know that. That's fucking insane. I was going to be fucking fired three days before 9-11. 
Like the, the illest <laughs> shit was they gave me my walking papers. So the VMAs, there was like this very famous um, onion headline after 9-11 uh, which was just a picture of the VMAs, and it said, "Nation longs to care about meaningless bullshit yet again." <laughs> and uh, and and that's what Still happened. They it. told me they told me they didn't need me anymore. They were like, "We don't need a we don't need like a like a politics or social affairs or like actual news person." Um, why don't you go? I was like writing for Vice, and I was writing for um, Spin at that time. They're like, you know, why don't we work on an exit strategy? And I was like, okay, and. Um, you know, it was that Tuesday morning. I was just commuting to work. And uh, by the time I got to Times Square, you know, I would, I would get there early, right, to, to, like, read the news wires and, like, pitch the news of the day and, like, you know, scour the gossip blogs and stuff like that. And uh, it was, like, me and, like, two other people and the president of the network. And she was like, put on a clean shirt. You're going to have to go on air. And then they evacuated all of Times Square and we were out on our own. And she called me up and she was like, um, you know, we'll give you, you know, every, a three minute block every 15 minutes if you can fill it. And I was like, well, all I need to fill it is my fucking laptop and my, 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 my phone or not my phone, my camera. And you're and like, then, wait, um, what's wrong with my shirt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, hold on, hold on. Rival schools? <laughs> it's green and they're holding hands. Um, but uh, yeah, and then and then that was it. And then you know, eight weeks later, I was in Afghanistan. Ooh, shit, man. So you I, so I, you were how old when when nine eleven happened? And you twenty three. Okay, so twenty three, and you become fifty percent of of the coverage. Yeah. And I also think that it's important for people to understand MTV was like a big fucking deal then. You know what I mean? It's it's not like it is now. This was like maybe not prime time, but like it was a very important network that young people were glued to. Yeah. It was, it was yeah. and also you were 23, you know, in 2000, you know, 20 years ago when you every 23-year-old did not have a lifetime of experience with being on camera and sharing their thoughts with the world. No, it was, I mean, it was, it was really like, there wasn't any, um, yeah, you know, there wasn't an affectation. I mean, I guess I, I tried not to be affected. I mean, I think insofar as I like, if there was a shtick, it was the, the best thing anybody has ever said to me about my job. If they've met me in real life after seeing me do that, you know, 20 years ago is, oh, you're the exact same person. Like what yeah. I saw on 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 tv is is who you are in real life like there's not a there's no mm -hmm. shtick um first person to ever do that by the way well done uh, yeah seriously first and last <laughs> just you and letterman that's it um thanks man I'm, look i'm not trying to you know i'm not trying to blow myself on your podcast but like uh, that's our job I, uh, I i i mean i think there was something to that right like if you were guilelessly experiencing a sense of loss or fear like that was such a, instead of trying to sit there in, you know, as the voice of God, the way that a news anchor does, you were just leveling with people and being mm -hmm. like, I'm scared shitless. This is my home down, you know, and everything that we tried to do after was just kind of like stunt work of like, this is what it's like to get on a plane for the first time, you know, mm. after a lockdown and I'm literally shitting my pants. Yeah. Um yeah, and just, you know, again, I think 
You're being a human being. Yeah, reality, you know, reality is, is just a construct. Um, and authenticity, just be like, it's such a, it's kind of, you know, now we have a reality star as a president. And that term and that idea has kind of gone so f- in such a twisted fashion. But I think that there was a time where, like, I don't know, being real was, uh, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know. It, 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 it just, was it didn't have the affectation. It didn't. Yeah, it was rare. I mean, I think that. I think it's still it's still odd to you know and rare to be a truly real, real, real person. You know, especially if there's a camera involved. I mean, I think that that's what is so interesting talking to, to you about this now with the climate of the the world as it stands. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that the lack of of voices in in you know real positions to listen to that are keeping it real. I would say there's almost none. You know what I mean? Um, that uh, in a big major news way. Um, and I think that that is something. I think that alternative news source and what MTV provided at that time, what you were able to provide, would be so beneficial now coming yeah. from a big a bigger place than Instagram TV. You know what I mean? I think it like maybe that's my age showing that I would love to see something like that on the actual television. But I yeah. do think that's a very hard concept to wrap your mind around in 2020. Um, and I'm sure it's the same for you as a person who did it. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's kind of it's it's I don't know, like who or I don't know if that's a business that the tech companies want to be in. You know? Yeah. But it's sort of it feels like I mean it feels like that it's not really a place for um it's not a place for like a media company anymore to kind of fill that space it's almost if you're a tech company and you just have the audience capture cuz the only thing that really matters is that you've got you know the distribution platform if that makes sense yeah i think no, netflix I mean, is doing the you know they're the only ones who are really doing a good job at giving a voice to those people and Netflix is is now real television for most, you know, young people. Yeah, that's true. I feel like that's our attention right. our attention is so I don't know. I can't explain it. I feel like I, I just remember the way that MTV News would you know you'd cut in if there was yeah. this urgency about stories, whether it's like Kurt Cobain's suicide or yeah, or nine eleven or Afghanistan. Like I remember a lot of those moments from watching MTV and, and cutting in and seeing you or, or their, their co-hosts um, telling me about it. I think there's something to be said about seeing someone that feels like your peer, mm-hmm. but in a position of, of power because it's coming from a television network speaking yeah. to you directly. That, that, I guess that's what I'm mm-hmm. trying to say. First of all, alleged suicide, but go on. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, uh, or whatever that, that name is. Uh, no really comment. Yeah, no comment. Uh, that's that really is though. That's that's really I think what it is is that it's like I think now it's it's um it's a it's a very uh, busy marketplace um, for that peer to peer reporting, um, yeah. and I think it's it's hard to kind of suss out who like it took me this long to discover the Patriot Act, which is clearly a show that's right. made for me, right. um, but because of the way it's marketed and maybe because of something I had seen or heard, I immediately dismissed it. And there's a thousand other options for me to watch. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a dangerous, I mean, like, 
it's a dangerous thing, but in a weird way, it's like a, there there is an argument for gatekeeping, right? Yeah. Like that there is an argument for editorial that I think, um, especially like when you look at a lot of the tech companies, they basically say, well, that's just not our bag. We're not the people that do that. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of signal gets lost in the noise of volume. And one of the things about earlier eras, even though, I mean, the downside is that they were exclusionary of so many voices and so many stories, mm-hmm. um, you know, based on subsets of age, based on subsets of race, based on subsets of gender. Um, but by the same time, you still had people who had a shared reality. And I think, you know, the most dangerous thing about now is it's like, I don't know if you've ever had like narcissists in your life, you know, or you've like dated people who are like, Chris has a mirror, I, yes. Yeah, I was about to say, I think that it's either Jason or me, and maybe both of us, but yeah, continue. Well, it's We do like have sen- a podcast. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're white guys with a it's podcast. A spectrum, nothing- guys. It's a spectrum. It's all a spectrum. Thank that's you. true. That's true. Um, I, you know, like, if, if you can't share a reality with someone, you know, which is always, uh, if, 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 you know, you are being gaslit by a friend or a partner or a family member uh, or a coworker, or um, there's just nothing to be had there. Like if you can't share a basic reality, if you can't go outside and both agree that the sky is blue, mm-hmm. like what, how the fuck are you yeah. going to do anything? And I sort of feel like that's kind of the problem now is that there's very little shared reality. I mean, I feel like the only mm-hmm. shared reality we have is what, like a dollar is a dollar. And beyond that, like, no, Bitcoin took know, care of that. Yeah, there you yeah, go. I mean, no, you're you're right. I think that a shared reality is something we are. I mean, I think that is also the clearest illustration of that that's currently happening is like the politicization, the politicalization of coronavirus. You know, it's yeah. like I, I, when I'm when I'm driving south, you know, talking to someone in Richmond, they're like, "Oh yeah, there's a, a set of people here. If, you, if they see you wearing a mask, they assume you're anti-Trump." You know, and I'm like, "What the fuck are you talking about? Like this, this is a virus. This has nothing to right. do with politics." You know. Um, which is that, that to me is, is a very, is the most telling and the most illustrative. Cause it, it's, it's just, whereas the, the stuff with the stuff with race and people holding on to monuments and flags and stuff is also very confusing to me. That just seems so, yeah. um, I, I just, I, I don't know that, that to me is a, another like separate reality where like the same thing means two different things to two different people. Yeah, it's that's the weirdest thing I feel about like yeah, like it's a fucking mask, right? Like it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's just a fucking mask. Like nobody's how did that how the fuck did that happen, right? I it's mean, the I simplest easiest shit. I know. That and that's the thing, but I think that like I mean to, to consider that, I mean to think of that as something that's imposing on your like personal freedom is just so backwards to me because it's for the greater good. The same way that taking down a Confederate statue is for the greater good. How could yeah. you not just, how could you not just be like, oh, okay, well this is, I, I, we're all inherently selfish, but this is for the greater good of the world. Maybe I'll just rock with it. Cause, cause it's like, you know, on some base level, I can understand this is going to benefit a, a something greater than me. Yeah. It's, it's weird what the America is going to look like after all of this. Like I, I, I genuinely like, you know, not again, I, I think about it in the context of like, what's the, what's the world and, and then, you know, my son's going to grow up in, 
Yeah. And um, that's, it's a, just, that's a scary thought. Well, it's just, you know, it's, it is one of those things. It, it is, you know, you feel, you feel that, that cold wind just kind of blow over you when you think about it, because, you know, the degree of damage that has taken place in the last four years, and I don't want to just pin it on Trump because there's been so much systemic rot going on in this country since, you know, when I was you know, 20 years ago, when I started, mm-hmm. um, and it's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know if I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I wonder sometimes whether or not you should just pack up the, uh, the RV and head back up North, Chris. I mean, look, <laughs> you're not the first person to say that. Um, I think that it's, and that's, that's something also interesting about Canada is that, you know, I, 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 um, they have their own problems, but they just seem so much lesser, um, and part of that, I think, is not true. And I think part of that is maybe seeing it through the lens of America and, and just being like, wow, everything is so fucked here that you guys yeah. must must be better than us, you know, um, which I think is, you know, is, is true in a lot of cases, but they, they have their own issues. But I mean, I yeah, I mean, I did not pick the best time to reconnect with America by any means, <laughs> but, but but I mean, I, I'm really happy that I did because I think it's important for me as like a a 37 year old white man from the South to experience this in as real of a way as I can. Um, I think it'd be, it would be kind of um, selfish to like avoid it beyond reading it or listening to it. You know, it's, it's not like I'm on the front lines and I'm blowing up cop cars, but like even the proximity to that and going to some protests and being in the actual climate is very different than being in Canada and reading it on the news. Yeah. Yeah, I, I find I found them really heartening. I found like the um, the degree of organization and um, yeah, just all of the people taking to the streets over the last couple of weeks. I mean, it reminded me of the anti-war protests against Iraq. It reminded me of the you know million women marches, you know, in the beginning of uh, of 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 January of, of two thousand seventeen. Like, if there is a degree of sustained public outcry i think you'll see change for the better but it's just you know people just gotta this has to become now part of part of life well that's a question that we've asked a lot on this show is and as someone who's uh, obviously politically minded and covered this stuff really closely for a long time it's like what is it what what does it mean like what what do we what do we want to see that will make people feel better and that positivity push them to continue to to go like what? What are those things? Is it arresting cops? Is it? Is it? Are these all just small victories? Like, what do we need to feel better? Um, fuck, man, that's a heavy question to ask. Like, I'm just <laughs> a television writer living in Hollywood. Like, no, no, of course. Uh, but I, again, I think that that it's of course no, no question. But I, I just think that you have this unique you've been in this unique place to see stuff change like from the front lines and talk to the people who are involved in it so i think there may be some parallels you could find that we just aren't aren't able to understand or access you know yeah i mean look i think um i just think like i again i don't know how you get there right but like yeah it's sort of um I think there's from, kind of this notion. Sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to. No, go ahead, go I, ahead. I'm just trying to like think about what I was going to say, just to make sure that this is coming out the right way. <laughs> um, 
like there's been this thing in American society where I think if you look at the way, if you actually look at like the founding documents of this country, right. And they talk about things like a commonwealth, right. Like a shared sense of something, right. Like the commonwealth of Virginia or the commonwealth of Massachusetts, that the actual basis for this country wasn't individual liberty. It was about an experiment in some kind of shared society. Like, yes, you have, protection of your individual rights. And yes, you have this degree of expressed and enshrined freedoms that was unlike anything the world had seen. And admittedly, at that point, only for white slave owning, you know, land holding Christian men. But that definition of freedom broadened and broadened and broadened. What didn't broaden was the kind of sense of public or civic uh, participation, right? Like everything became private. Like you think about the term public school or public pool or public bus or public park, mm-hmm. everything public has a negative sheen to it. But if you say private equity, private club, private jet, mm-hmm. like this notion of exclusion of other people um, became really sexy, right? Like, you know, the work in the private sector, don't do anything in public life. Mm-hmm. And for s- some way, like that pendulum has to swing back. Mm. It, you have to go back to a, a society where there's a sense of, yes, I'm here, but also I'm getting something back, you know, from my tax dollars. I'm getting something back from an investment in the infrastructure. I'm participating because there's there's a moral and social and ethical good to participate, um, you know, not just for myself, but for my fellow man and fellow woman and fellow person. and um, you know, I don't know if you can legislate that, but instead of, you know, cutting a bunch of like $67 billion checks to Boeing to bail them out or like <laughs> refusing to tell people, you know, it, just the rot is so corrupt. Like, I'm really bummed Bernie Sanders is not the nominee. I think if you had two weeks extra of um, primary primarying for the Democratic Party, you would have a real existential conversation in this country about what we want the political system to look like, who we want it to serve, and why for the first time in 20 or 30 years. And I think that's the kind of conversation that you need to have, you know, when you read that, you know, young people are more socialistic, more civic minded, um, you know, less high on the notion of like winner take all capitalism than the boomers you got to kind of move a society that kind of reflects that uh, because otherwise, you know, just so many people are getting hung out to dry by institutions that are um, fundamentally corrupt, whether it's the police or whether it's sort of the long-term career politicians. Yeah. Dan, that's, that's actually a pretty interesting take. Um, and, and one that we haven't heard before. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that the, just the bottom borderline Marxists, yeah, you know, <laughs> just uh, maybe, Chris, maybe if I reframe it for you, you'll understand. Uh, yeah. we, just have, we just have to remove remove classism from the world yeah. and we'll be OK. Yeah. To, to all you TikTok uh, kids out there, seize the means of production, which in this case is yourselves uh, <laughs> and uh, and and use it to break the state. I mean, look, I think they're trying. I, I think they're trying. I don't know if they're as, fo- <laughs> as focused and, and, or as uh, concise as you are, but I think they're trying. Um, now, are you a, a 
you're certified Gen X, right? Uh, I think I am. Yeah, I was born '78. I'm the wrong side of that 1980. I'm so jealous, man. That's my only dream is to be Gen X. It's all I, I just. It's all of my tastes lean. I feel like you have talked to all of my hero, my Gen X heroes. So I just think it's a little bit of a. I, I feel misplaced as a as a late millennial. Who uh, who makes that cut? Well, I mean, I'm I'm 82. So 80, like you said, 80 is the is the switch. Makes yeah. the cut of Gen. I mean, it's literally everyone from from you know the actors, actresses, the music. It's just all of that stuff feels more relevant to me. Um, and informs everything now. And it's, it's a little bit like scary because I think that's when you really start to feel like you're getting old. Yeah. Like when people think of the gin blossoms as like grocery store music, I'm like, no, what are you talking about? They got slaps. Like, let me go through the catalog and explain <laughs> to you how important they were. And you know what I mean? So something like that. I think it's like a lot of that stuff is lost on, on young people, you know, and I, I have a lot of friends who are just like, what are you talking about, bro? You know? Yeah. I mean, well, do you remember, like, I I remember it feeling like all that early punk stuff, right? Like, that was such a big, like, defining punk, post-punk, like, New York cool, all that Please Kill Me stuff was sort of like the playbook in the background when we were drunk fuck-ups running around the Lower East Side. And, uh... That book, you know, I mean, I'm sure like, you, you loved it. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I loved it. I mean, I would, like, you know, skate around and try to find out like where the Fillmore West was or Fillmore East was and like yeah. all that stuff. Um, I think a lot of that music is what I surprised me the most about that book um, was reminded me of Interpol. And then I listened Interpol holds up pretty well. I would say Interpol yeah. holds up better than a lot of stuff from that time, which really surprised me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it's funny. I just, um, they're making a documentary based on the uh, a meet me in the bathroom based on the yeah. Goodman book. And, um, you know, I, I've heard, I've heard about this. I've heard tale. I, um, I just gave them a whole bunch of footage. You know, I used to bring my camera to all of these, you know, shows, very early shows, really early. Yeah. Yeah. Shows really early Walkman shows, really early stroke shows, stuff like that. So I had all this like bootleg footage. The audio is terrible, right? Like, because it's like a camera mic. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you're like standing on the side of a stage in a room with like 30 or 40 people. It's like all the little cutscenes in, in 24-hour party people. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was just watching a bunch of this stuff. I'll give you some of my Interpol stuff. I think you'll dig it. Okay, that's it. That's cool that you have. Did they interview you or did you just give them footage? I just gave them footage. A very nice English lady named Vivian Perry showed up at my house when my wife was due to give birth to my son any minute and was like she's like can i see your stuff and i was like yeah sure i don't know if you want it and um she like punched her hand in the air like a nascar winner took a fucking shoe box full of mini dvs and then went back to england and that's the last of <laughs> i can't wait i can't wait for that. i mean i knew something would happen but i think that those like i've read a lot of oral histories because that there's i think there's a there's a, a, a duo that did one about ESPN. They did one about CAA. Right, they right. Did one about like must see TV. All of those are like incredible, and it could be made into a. You know what I mean? Like should be made into documentaries. I think um, since that's how people want to consume thing now. Consume things yeah. now. I mean, it's weird to think that that is vintage for another generation because it went by really fast. Well, I think all of that stuff is. I think all of that stuff might come back post current revolution. Like I, I feel like music with guitars could return. 
Yeah, so you guys shit on that 1975 record in your, like, intros all the time. And I'm like, wait a second, these are gentlemen with guitars. No, like, I mean, I like to make fun of the 1975 because they are annoying. But, I, I mean, look, you put out a 25-song record, I'm going to make fun of you because that's fucking annoying. But th- there's some songs on that record. There's, like, three or four songs that are amazing. But I guess it's just they're one of those bands that I don't fully get. You know what I mean? I just think it, it really does feel like, okay, this is like a little bit young for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as it should be. Like, it's it's not for us. It's for, like, if you're, like, a teenager on the edge of town, you know, yeah. staring at the lights of the city, like, smoking a cigarette, wondering if you're ever going to escape, if you're ever going to find love. Like, exactly. Exactly. And that's crazy, what, but you're not. Are these lyrics from a 1975 song? <laughs> yeah. 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 But I do think that that... I think that this, the, the things that you just said are part of every song of every generation that matters to, to kids like that, you know? Um, yeah. And I, you know, cause hardcore and punk, especially like, it's funny for me to think about that, like continuing on after I moved on. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, it's like a funny thing to think about like other oh, kids are still going to a basement to see a band play. I'm sure. Yeah. How much of that, I mean, it's funny because I wonder how much of that, it's weird because I, I look at a lot of that stuff now and like the context of whiteness um, of that was, I, I don't think anything that I was like really as aware of at the time, in part because I think, you know, you had, um, you know, the politics of so much of that stuff was so like radically about yes. Um, you know, being community facing and liberal politics and, um, but what but it was all white dudes. 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 And the notion of like white hardcore in a weird way, when I see these like Boogaloo guys or like, I watch what happened to like Gavin McGinnis yeah. and that they've like, there's now a strain of disaffected whiteness that has embraced assault rifles and the internet. Yeah. And it's, it's weird because I'm like, first of all, you guys are all a bunch of miscreant fucking demons, but also like, I know you, you should be like floor punching to the gorilla biscuits in a basement. If yeah, what happened? And then it's that thing of like, where you're like, well, like, is there really that big of a personality difference between like that hard, you know, the hard left and the hard right faction? Was it just a question of timing? Was it just a question of the scene? Like, did you just take a bunch of disaffected, angry white dudes and then, like, be like, no, it's going to be about veganism and, like, yeah, you know, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's where you found yourself on the internet at a certain point. You know what I mean? I think it's like, I agree. I mean, Atlanta was really politically charged and super open about, um, obviously, like sexuality and, and, you know, men and women and, and just that every, everything was really progressive. But the underlying current is 100% like we're all white. Like yeah. 100%, 100%, you know, I could name the five black guys that I knew from going to hardcore shows because that, right. that was all there was. And I, I, I doubt that's changed very much. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I think a lot of that also has to do with it being kind of like a suburban thing in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. I think a lot of everyone that I knew um, – Obviously, the scene itself existed in the city exclusive, almost not exclusively, right. but almost exclusively. Um, everyone lived in the suburbs, you know. Right, um, right. So I think it might be, you know, a white flight hardcore <laughs> crossover, you know. Yeah. 
it's, I mean, it, it's sort of one of those things that you kind of, I mean, skateboarding was not that, right? Like skateboarding always was way more inclusive, but like certainly hardcore was profoundly, profoundly um, homogenous. No, it had, that was, it had so many, I mean, I'm really grateful that I was into that and, and Jason was too. I think it just, it, it kind of paved a path for me that I was able to uh, navigate and, and like take the good from it. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I think looking back, it was mostly positive for me, but I also realized that like, how could it not be? You know, I was like a upper middle class white guy going to the city to hang out with my friends, you know, yeah. it's like, that's really what it was when you, when you break it down, like no matter how radical it is when you're 14 years old, that's what's happening. You know? Yeah. You just, you want to find your clubhouse. Yeah, exactly. And I do think skateboarding, I mean, we had, we had a guy on the podcast and chef, uh, who was talking to, he, he's a, he's a black guy. He was talking about skateboarding and the, and the race stuff in skateboarding, um, a little more. Um, but I, I'm not as well versed in that, but I, I think that if you consider, if you look at skateboarding as a sport, it makes a little more sense, you know? Right, right. Uh, Hey Gideon, what do you think, um, is going to happen when Donald Trump dies? Uh, well, there's still me the, uh, Un- unleashing of a fair amount of champagne in the Yego household. Um, <laughs> Top of bottles of the Yegos. I mean, it's kind of, you know, that's such a great question because it's like under what context, right? Like, you know, if he dies in office tomorrow, do you have a bunch of like QAnon crazies running around? Um, mm. All I can hope, all I can hope is that they, um, uh, they prosecute the living shit out of Jared Kushner, Stephen Miller, and Donald Trump Jr. Mm-hmm. in the Southern District of New York. I just, I, I, I think you know the the big the big thing for me as somebody who kind of came of age covering Iraq was looking at how much Iraq was a war of choice for two dudes in particular who were like Gerald Ford's chief of staff, right? Like Dick Cheney and Don Rumsfeld were the guys that had pushed this um, war, and it was the first time I had. I think ever really like spent a lot of time in a occupied nation at war that was a free fire zone in, 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 in several districts. And it was hard not to think that like if someone had just kind of stripped these dudes of their ideological credentials, like if they had just stopped their careers or stomped them out in Washington, DC at a certain point, you never would have gotten, you know, you would never have had, you know, hundreds of thousands of civilian dead, and, you know, millions of people displaced. And what I really worry about is this kind of generation of like young fascists who kind of have come up under the Tea Party um, of whom I think Stephen Miller, Donald Trump Jr., maybe Jared Kushner are great examples, wildly inept, like wildly unqualified ideological hitmen who have, you know, created concentration camps for Mexican kids on the U.S.-Mexico border and like challenged the rule of law um, and gotten wealthy off of it if they weren't born rich uh, and now have 20 to 30 years ahead of them for careers where they're going to be like, well, what's my next act? Mm-hmm. I don't want to see your fucking next act. I want your next <laughs> yeah, act to be yeah. like fucking, you know, prison handcuffs, man. I want, you know, you should, you should have your politics participation card taking the fuck away from you like bring back moral hazard guys like it's just yeah you know well what do you think is going to happen what do you think is going to happen in the in this election bro that that's the bottom line because 
I thought Trumpito was going to take it, but I feel like the last since the Rose Garden with the Bible shit, I feel like he's he's fallen on hard times. Um, I I think you know I let's let's nobody get comfy. Let's no, all of course, of course. To, let's let's all make sure everyone we know is registered to vote. Let's all like you know classic yeah, classic Diego here on the front lines of, of vote or die. You know, yeah, man, vote <laughs> vintage or <die>. vintage Diego, <laughs> vintage vote or die. Like just you know, you know, uh, stay aware, stay involved, stay active, talk to your friends about it. You know, just check in. Like it might seem like it's an awkward thing, but just make sure everybody's got their shit going. Like press where you can make it seem like it's a worthwhile thing to do. And then when fucking Cheeto is out on the rails, um, you know, uh, I think you have to start to rebuild, but that's not, I mean, I think you just kind of you see what happens. Let's we'll see what happens. <laughs> it's, it's really up in the air. It's up in the air who his VP is. It's up in the air, whether or not he survives the first one to two years in office you know, this is this is this is a nation that's at war with itself. And anything that is a war takes much longer than you expect to resolve itself. I think we should just like have a full up conversation, which is that this has been a cold civil war in America for a long time. Um, and to get on the right, you know, the union won the last time. If you want to have the union win again, you just got to kind of stay up on it and use the mechanisms of power that are available to you to keep a sustained effort because you might not have money, but you have numbers and you have money with a large number of people and that can affect an immense amount of change and just run young, talented folks that look like us, that share our sensibilities and that seem effective and, um, Flush the fucking toilet on uh, on on the boomers, and that's uh, damn. And then wow, up. our man just dropped the hammer with a fuck boomers. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry about that, Chris. But yeah, it had to be said. Hey, shut up, man! I'm not a boomer. I'm not. I mean, I. You He's know. not. You're not a boomer. You're the boomer. <laughs> hey, there. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, are you uh, getting? Are you working on anything you can talk about, or anything you're excited about? Yeah. Um, let's see. I was shooting a I was shooting a television show for Apple with Justin Thoreau and Melissa George called Mosquito Coast when everything got pulled for COVID. Uh, I was working with a guy named Neil Cross who did Luther. Yeah. Um, really did you talented. get any did you get any bicep tips from Thoreau or did you cut all the sleeves off your shirts or are you still wearing sleeves? Uh yeah, it's a completely sleeve sleeve free household. Sleeve free household. Um it's uh I mean, Oh yeah, get in those. <laughs> Me, my wife, and my child, like, you know, the, when the gun sales are surging in America, they're not just talking about firearms. Thoreau really had an impact. Thoreau really had an impact on the whole house. I love that. Uh, it, a lot of my former colleagues had worked with him on Leftovers um, uh, you, from a show that I was on with Manhattan. I didn't work on work? No, no. Okay. I worked on a show called Manhattan, and basically they, Damon Lindelof picked up uh, a large portion of that show and dropped it into the leftovers writing room and they made, you know, one of the great television series of all time. So I was fortunate enough to like have crossover where I said, Hey, you know, you've worked with, you know, these other former colleagues of mine and, and yeah. that was a trust piece. I'm, I'm developing a TV show with um, two really talented plumbing directors. Did you guys see a movie called birds of passage that came out a couple of years ago? I know the title, but I did not no. see it. 
it's interesting, man. It's like it's a lot like City of God. It's um, it's a drug story told through. I mean, they're just they just made a movie with Johnny Depp and Mark Rylance where they did an adaptation of um, Waiting for the Barbarians by J.M. Katsia. Mm. Uh, just super super talented directing team, and we kind of fell into each other's orbit and uh, hit it off. And so we have a pilot that. They're down in Mexico City shooting um, uh, a miniseries about Cortez with Javier Bardem right now. I have a lot of – I'm oddly, like, shooting a ton down in Mexico. So uh, It's not that odd. It's the only place in the world that allows shooting right now. Yeah, yeah. They're shut down, man. They're oh, totally really? Shut. Yeah, COVID's, like, spiking down there. I talk, mm-hmm. to, I talk to people down there every day, and um, hopefully, you know, we'll get on the right side of it. But I, I think – you know, it's a bit like South Korea, right? Like any society that's used to making stuff or that is an industrial society also tends to have like a incredibly industrial adept, um, you know, artistic community. Mm. And I think, you know, right now you'd be hard pressed to find just the bench of talent, you know, DPs, gaffers, production designers, uh, directors, editors, like than you would find in and around Mexico because of Alfonso Caron, um, you know, uh, it's just, that's interesting. Yeah. Mexico is the new Burbank. Mexico is the new Burbank. You heard, you heard it here first. All right. Yeah. So, top, top three TV shows all time. Top three TV shows all time. Don't, don't say Sopranos. I'm hanging up. Fuck you, Chris. Wow. <laughs> top three TV shows. Can I, can I take a beat and just think this one through? Yeah, go of ahead. Course. Chris and I can talk about ours. Obviously, Mad Men is in there. Yeah. The Office. No. Uh, <laughs> no. So I'm going to go number one's an easy one. Number one is Twilight Zone. Like the classic. Ooh, okay. Like Rod Serling, Twilight Zone. That's some real, that's some real head That's shit. a real head real heads no, answer. I feel like that's a industry into Twilight Zone. I feel like um, a real industry plant share right there. Would, would okay. you think it's safe to say that the world we're living in right now is kind of like the Twilight Zone? <laughs> I, think, I think the world that we're living in right now is definitely like the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, shit. Top three television shows of all time. Take a beat. And this is- Hundreds of thousands of people are going to hear this. So, you know, just okay. something to consider. Over a 30-year time period. Um <laughs> That's fair. Uh, fair data. I'm going to throw the wire in there. And mm-hmm. I, I, I'll say that knowing full well that the fourth, the fifth season was kind of basura. Sure. Like there's just so much about that. That is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, in so many ways, I think of it really as like a classic text. And then, Number three. Monday Night Football? <laughs> I mean, is it like... Home Improvement? The, ch- the Challenge? Definitely The Challenge. <laughs> um, is it cheating to go for... No, shit. I really want to think of... I want to think of like something good. Entourage? Definitely Entourage. <laughs> like, is it... Um... Oh, fuck it. You know Sex what? in the City, Selling Sunset. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna. Fuck. I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna say my so-called life. Ooh, go ahead yes. Say my so-called there we go. That's the Gen X daddy I was and, looking for. 
yeah, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to call it just like as a character study of like, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to throw my so-called life in there. You know, it really, it really just makes me think about Leto's range. I mean, it's honestly, the man has done it all. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. he it's really crazy. has. And, and he's in one of the biggest, worst bands of all time. Oh, my God. Do you remember? I don't want, I don't want to turn this into a talking shit session, but like. I remember ooh, we got I, I used to get some angry call-ins when I would make fun of like 30 seconds to Mars on, on MTV News. Yeah. Mars Hive does not stand for it. I will say that. Well, wait, so well, let me let me explain what happened. Let me explain this beef. Like what happened was my friend Vicky was a she was a stringer for spin and she wrote an article on 30 seconds to Mars. And not her but one of the, um, you know, when you write for a magazine, someone else will often come up with the headline, came up with the headline, the obvious, easy, low dunk, which was my so-called band, right? Uh, and, uh, of course. Like, how could they not? Like, how could you not? How could you not? Exquisite. Low fruit. <laughs> and, um, and so, uh, so he corners her outside of, is Irving Plaza still a venue? They I believe, 10 years ago. I, it, it actually it is the um it is where that cool church happens now in New York, uh-huh. but it's also okay. it is also still a venue. Hmm. Um so he and his brother ended up cornering Vicky outside of the show in a very aggressive way. She was maybe a hundred and fifteen pounds soaking wet. I always and, forget like, about I always forget about the, the troll brother that's in the band. I always forget about that. Yeah, and like um had a bit of a had a bit of a kind of like actorly diva moment um, where she Freaking felt very bullshit. Unsafe, <laughs> she felt like super cornered, um, and I think she was really shook. You know, I, I had a cigarette with her after because I walked outside and I was like, I was covering the show for some other reason. I was like, what happened? And she's like, they cornered me against their fucking tour bus, and like was all up in my face. And I thought he was going to hit me, and then he punched the tour bus right next to my head. And like, what? Yeah, yeah. And so at that point, I was like. Oh, I'm just gonna make fun of this band every time like, <laughs> for the rest of my life. <laughs> for the rest of my career on MTV, I'm just gonna have to like fucking throw digs at this thing. And they used to hoot and holler, and I used to hear from I forget if they were like RCA or Atlantic, but I used to hear from their like video promotion people. They're like, "Why do you have such a thing against this band?" And I was like, "My guy, why not? Like, why do they want to be yeah. women? Like, I I just I don't I don't." What? This is we need to get into this, I guess. But I mean, did you did you get to did you really interview people that were like your fucking heroes a handful of times, or was it mostly like shit? You were like it was current and mattered, but it didn't matter to you personally. It was push and pull, right? Like you know, for every like puddle of mud hour of your life, <laughs> you had to like choose your words wisely. Hey, <laughs> like. Yeah, your 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 video feed is dead, but like I just wanted to like go live now and it just to be like a bunch of puddle of mud merch. And, like, <laughs> um, you know, there was always like the manufactured prepackaged shit that like MTV was trying to like pipe down teenage gullets, like all American rejects. You know, yeah, try to make foie gras out of the uh, American cultural liver, if you will. And uh, we will, like, we will. <laughs> um, and then you know, but like the you could pitch stuff up. So there would be like times, I mean, I remember God, you know, when Iggy pop did that one record with um, Mike Watt and they brought the Stooges back together and all that stuff. They didn't want to carry it for shit. But then I ended up having like the most delightful lunch of my life with like Iggy pop and his girlfriend. And Mm. like it was, we used maybe 
two minutes of footage from the whole thing, but it was like one of those life changing things where I was like, I just want to talk to you about like, yeah, of course, making fun house and like, you know, I mean, that's the silver lining of that job. I feel like, especially MTV during that time, there was a lot of shit, but like it was, it's probably cooler than people actually remember. Like they would do stuff like this more often than people give them credit for. I feel like. Yeah, we did. I mean, I remember, you know, RIP Adam Yauk, but like, Adam and I, I mean, right after September 11th happened, right? Like there was this moment where Adam was one of the first people who realized what I was doing and why I was doing. Like like I had this microphone and I was just trying to broadcast out like peace and love and sensibility and like, you know, don't take this out on a kid who looks different than you if you were in a small town in America because everyone's afraid, right? Like that was... That was yeah. the drumbeat behind everything that I did around September 11th, right? Like those those two weeks. And Yauk was like, oh, you're from Queens? And I was like, yeah. And like, this was my hero. Like, white Jewish kid from fucking Queens? Are you mm-hmm. kidding me? Like, of course, of course the Beastie Boys were like who you wanted to be. And Yauk was like, all right. And I remember September 11th was on Tuesday. On that Thursday, I had them in the studio at MTV with a Bare Bones crew. And it was me, Mike. Adam and Adam and just chopping it up, man, just chopping it up in like a really real way. And like, I, you know, I remember the first conversation I had that night of September 11th was with Muhammad Ali because I was like, I need a, what the fuck? Really? Yeah. It was the illest shit. Oh dude. I was like sitting in my, it was the illest shit. I, um, because we knew that hate crimes were a thing, right? Cause Matthew Shepard had died that year mm. and James Byrd had been lynched in Texas and these were stories that I had done. We had done, you know, a big part of our, our, our thing that year, my thing that year was trying to cover hate crimes and, and hate crimes legislation against young people, specifically about gender, you know, specifically about sexuality, because I think Matthew Shepard was a young man. And I think, you know, there was it was a sea change, certainly in culture for how we talked about sexuality, how we talked about gender. And I was like, I need who's the most prominent American Muslim? that I can put on MTV to say ours is not a religion of violence. You know, Mm. what Al Qaeda has done is not, you know, you know, I grew up in a community in Queens with tons of, you know, Muslims from South Asia, Muslims from Africa, Muslims from Europe. And um, then it was just like, well, of course it's Muhammad Ali, right? Like this is the most prominent. And I did that thing. I cold called at 23. I cold called, his wife, who was his manager, who I got their number because my grandfather had died of Parkinson's and I knew that he was on this Parkinson's board. And I like, I found them through this weird Parkinson's charity. And that night, you know, sitting in my apartment, which was covered in dust. And the only part that wasn't covered in dust was my, um, was my tub, my bathtub. I sat in my bathtub and I recorded a speakerphone conversation with Muhammad Ali and we piped it out. That was the first thing that we piped out for MTV the next day. I ran to an NOC and I plugged it into a fucking satellite feed. I had Muhammad Ali saying, you know, just a snound bite of him basically saying, I decry this and this is not the spirit of the faith that I'm with. And I stand with America. I'm a proud American and all of these things. But it was a part of a 45 minute. I couldn't get my parents on the phone. And I got Muhammad <laughs> Ali on the phone. That's fucking crazy. That's insane. That's an incredible story. Yeah, it was. Um, and that that's the sort of shit that was. Um, yeah, that was really blessed. That was really a magical way to grow up. 
shit. All right, well, I mean, thank you for your service, Gideon. Yeah, I can't really follow. <laughs> Amazing. Can't really follow that. I mean, fuck, that's great. I mean, I think that, that that's you know that's that there's there's going to be highs and lows to stuff like that, and it sounds like uh, there were a lot of highs, thankfully. Yeah, they really were. Really um, were. Tell people where they can, well, first of all, when are these shows coming out? Like, do you have something coming out? Somewhere? Oh, I have no fucking idea. COVID. Uh, you know, okay. we can't get 120 people back on set yet. I'll, you know, just assume, uh, yeah, when it'll come out, I'll, I'll ring it. Follow, follow Gideon on social media. He will post whenever these great shows come out. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, fuck Jared Leto. <laughs> fuck Jared Kushner. Fuck Jared Kushner. This is a fun, lot of other Jareds. This is a fuck Jared <laughs> podcast. We don't fuck, fuck Jared from Subway. Fuck Jared from Subway. Jared Leto. Yeah. <laughs> um, Gideon, what are your what are your handles on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, Gideon Diego, Gideon Diego. Oh, of course, he's got the full name, like the king. Um, Gideon, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure to catch up, um, and, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, oh my God, oh, thanks for having me. And uh, Jay, when you come down out of Lake Arrowhead, people start seeing each other in person. I'll see you in person. It's a date, my friend.